0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God's love is steadfast and he is in control. If you take nothing else away from the lessons today, take that. God is merciful and loving, patiently and deliberately working through natural and supernatural events, both of his will and also of the obstinate will of sinful people. But he's working through it all to bring about salvation. All in good time. Because he is patient. But he is loving and he is in control. Now, this is the confession of the prophet Isaiah we heard this morning. It is the... Uh, praise song that we hear in Psalm 111. It's expressed in this brief lesson from Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's from Galatians 4, speaking of the fullness of time and what God did in the fullness of time. Then we come to our gospel lesson and we see God's steadfast love and his control over all things play out in redemptive history. So I want to take a close look at the gospel lesson. And I'm going to read most of it again and pause and look at each part. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said... Intervention by coming to Joseph in a dream, warning him to flee for the protection of Jesus. God is not the author of Herod's sinful, evil act. Herod's murderous treachery. However, God can work through such evil acts, and he does. Hosea 11.1 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This is the reference that Matthew is giving, that is being fulfilled actually in Jesus being in Egypt, being a child in Egypt, being Israel personified in Egypt. Matthew says that this prophecy was fulfilled in Christ, to which we look simply at the fact that Jesus was in Egypt and then was called out of Egypt, right? That's, oh, well, look, it was, the prophecy was fulfilled because Jesus was in Egypt and then he was called out of Egypt. But it's a lot deeper than that. If you look more closely, we see that Jesus is called God's son. Recall from Exodus 4, God speaking to Moses said, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn son. In other words, Jesus is God's son, his true son, which is called out of Egypt. Just as Joseph went to Egypt by the sinfulness of his brothers who sold him into slavery, Jesus went to Egypt by the sinfulness of Herod. Just as God claimed Israel as his son and brought them up out of Egypt, God says that Jesus is his son and called him up out of Egypt. The nation, we see in this that the nation of Israel was a type, a shadow, but now we see in Christ, he is the substance that was pointing forward to Christ. But he is the true Israel who comes up out of Egypt. Jesus will, um, I mean, we see in the Israelites, you know, we, we, always, we always read Exodus with amazement, not just the mighty hand of God, but that the mighty hand of God was so manifest, and yet the people were constantly turning back to sin. As if we're any better, but nevertheless, we fancy that we are. And we, we say, how could they do this? I mean, they're following a pillar of cloud. They see God's mighty hand bringing them out of Egypt, and yet they continue to fall away. Well, it's true that Israel was not faithful to the covenant. But Jesus Christ is the, the true Israel that will be faithful to that, to the covenant. Jesus will not fail to keep the covenant. Thus, Jesus is, perhaps it's better to say, instead of the true Israel, because Israel was true, but to say the perfect Israel. Jesus was the fulfillment of what Israel was meant to be. Accordingly, the prophecy is fulfilled, not simply because he came up out of Egypt, but because God's firstborn son has been called up out of Egypt, and that is Jesus Christ. The substance of that shadow of that type that we saw in the Old Testament that Hosea refers to that has actually now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. By his shed blood, he has borne our sins. He has made atonement for you. This is the that's the true fulfillment of this prophecy. Weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. Now, we don't know the number of children killed. Not that it makes it any less tragic. It's somewhere between 6 and 30, based on population figures, that were young boys between uh, birth and two years old. But Matthew, uh, we also know that it's not God's will that these children would be killed. It was Herod's sinful act. And you get a a clue to that where Matthew simply records that it fulfilled the prophecy. He doesn't say this was to fulfill the prophecy. He just says, then the prophecy was fulfilled. And that prophecy was from Jeremiah 31. The prophecy from Jeremiah was uh, spoken in the context of the people Judah being taken into captivity in Babylon but here again, we see its ultimate fulfillment in, the t- fulfillment in the time of the Messiah's birth. Rachel weeps over her descendants in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas who were mercilessly killed by Herod. Uh, by the way, if, if you want to know uh, what happened to Herod, you can read the account for Josephus, and I'll give you, I have a copy of it here if you want to read it. It's pretty gruesome. Um, and Josephus attributes Herod's demise to his impiety and his um, just immorality, his blatant immorality. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Again, God spoke to Joseph through a dream And the Holy Family headed back to their land. Now, naturally, Jesus would be raised in Judea, in the area surrounding Jerusalem, right? I mean, this is the Son of God. This is Jesus, He who will save the people from their sins. Joseph and Mary are not ignorant of all of this. The logical thing would be Jerusalem. That's the center of the universe. That's really where they need to be. But Archelaus was Herod's son and he was also a terrible ruler, just like his dad, a chip off the old block. And he was given three uh, provinces of Herod's. And one, uh, Galilee, was given to his brother. Uh, but, But Archelaus was tragic and he had a reputation. He had already, Herod, before he had died, had put down a rebellion of sorts. Uh, wasn't really, but uh, of sorts. And Archelaus, a year later, on the anniversary of that, had punished the people who had come to pay homage to what had happened a year before. So Archelaus has a reputation for being a, a despot, just like his father, and Joseph fears. And again, Joseph is warned in a dream and directed to Galilee, to Nazareth. Now, this was their hometown. We recall that they left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem for the census. Some people might say, well, that's why they're going, you know, that would be a reason to go back to Nazareth. But they understood who Jesus was. They would think Jerusalem, Judea would be the place to go. But they don't go back there. And the angel tells them, return to Nazareth. Now... Jesus did not, this, this prophecy in verse 23, is not it, the fulfillment does not come in the same way as though there's a passage that says he will come from Nazareth. That's not the way this prophecy was fulfilled. Um, the, ex, the expression that he would be called a Nazarene was a way of saying that he would be despised and treated with shame and indignity. Think about Nathanael, uh, the apostle Nathanael, when Philip came to him and he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip is like, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael says, seriously, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth had not a great reputation. And so this is what it means. that the, the, the prophecy speaks speak of the Messiah being someone who would suffer shame and indignity. And so that is, that is how this was fulfilled in that he was called a Nazarene. He suffered the indignity of being from Nazareth. Now, I said at the beginning of the sermon that in this gospel lesson, you see clearly the steadfast love of God and his control over redemptive history. Well, Herod feared that he would lose his kingdom. That is why he killed the holy innocents, the young children, because he was afraid of losing his kingdom. And so he caused Jesus to flee to Egypt. Even in the wickedness of Herod's terrible and sinful attempt to unseat the king, he was unwittingly working to raise up the king, the proper king, the way that the king was prophesied, the fulfillment of the the perfect Israel that comes up out of Egypt, the one who would be shamed and despised who comes from Nazareth, Herod's sinful actions in all of this actually unwittingly brought about all of this. It's it's like kind of what we were talking about in Bible study today with 1 Corinthians 3. The worldly wisdom is futile. Because God's not going to be undone. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. Herod was thinking, I suppose, that Jesus would be a conventional king that would snatch away rule in his earthly kingdom. (laughs) The steadfast love of God is revealed not in a flash of lightning, you know, like a flash in a pan. It's not a momentary display of power and might. He could do that. He could display his power and might and majesty in a moment for all to see, but he doesn't do that. It is in his condescending, in his incarnation, in which God took upon himself human flesh. Oh yeah, he'll suffer the shame of being called a Nazarene. He'll suffer the shame and the indignation of the cross even more than that. I mean, what is name-calling compared to the suffering that Jesus Christ endured for the sake of your redemption? And it's in this upside-downness that God's love is revealed, not as a wrathful judge, although he will return to judge the earth, but God is revealed as a sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In Christ, God has overcome the wretched sin of Herod. And he's overcome your wretched sin. For we're all sinners for whom Christ died and made atonement. I mean, by worldly standards, we're better than Herod but we don't measure up, not by God's standards. But Christ measured up for you. Christ died for your sins. So on this first Sunday after Christmas, hear and see that in Jesus Christ, God has loved you beyond measure He has worked through the sin of this world to bring about your redemption. Thanks be to God. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.